Welcome to Supply Chain Radio. I'm Greg Kiefer. Today I'm joined by Richard Barnett here in the studio. Richard, welcome. Great to be here, Greg. Yeah, good to have you back. You've been on the show a few times. So we like to talk about innovation in the supply chain. And I believe we've talked in the past about digital transformation being a very big theme and the notion of business networks kind of penetrating companies and the way companies think about how they're going to get to that next level. Absolutely. And I thought maybe we would take it from the clouds kind of down into a a specific industry and get really meaningful on the ground examples. And I think one industry that we're beginning to see this take place is automotive. Absolutely. And you've been out on the road, you've been to Detroit a little bit lately, and I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about what you're seeing about how some of the automotives and their related suppliers are tackling digital transformation to, you know, make their businesses run smoother. Absolutely. I think this broader intersection that we're seeing is very meaningful because you have a lot of digital innovation projects, initiatives that are sort of science experiments that are very exciting. There's a lot of mobilization around them. You know, people kind of have an idea, a little window into the art of the possible. What could the future bring? But they also stumble and they can't be linked to a broader rollout or they can't be connected into the rest of maybe the business of, the, you know, the use cases that they want to extend out. In parallel, what you have is this increasing focus around thinking about both your business strategy as a network, as network orchestration or a new platform that you're bringing to the market and then orchestrating a supply chain or a value chain end to end, leveraging kind of this kind of new way of thinking, right? A new paradigm really of network-based thinking. And those two worlds are intersecting in a very interesting way in, in many industries, but in automotive in particular, I think that's where you have a confluence of factors going on. It's a very exciting time. So one big pattern you're seeing is a lot of the automotive OEMs, and this is true also at heavy equipment OEMs as well, have had years of experience thinking through embedded telematics or embedded sensors and devices on the vehicles on the physical equipment and heavy equipment you saw a big trend towards predictive maintenance to understanding kind of assets in the field you know in some cases using triangulation of automation around the flow and pattern to cover optimally a field or a specific ground you know sort of the optimizing for it for coverage now while they're old hat on some of these very mature technology areas like an IoT embedding, there's a lot of new innovation, though, thinking about, okay, what is new ways of interacting with our market? How do we redefine our business model, right? Big disruptive factors. So this is investments in Uber, in Lyft, that whole, you know, massive war that's going on right now in terms of market share in China, the way that that's playing out. I mean, we're seeing multi-billion dollar bets go down and get vetted in the space of months that normally would have taken a decade. And a lot of the automotive OEMs and heavy equipment OEMs are looking at kind of the big headline news as the autonomous vehicles and shifting their entire business model to offer a service rather than an actual asset that people buy and hold and maintain. But below those headlines are some really interesting things that are happening around, you know, reinventing and improving operational efficiency, improving, you know, visibility and control and compliance across this extended globalized value networks that they're actually orchestrating. So one of the big intersection points that we're seeing out there is innovation and the edge of finished vehicle logistics or going through a dealer distributor network on a global basis, because we're seeing that the mix of international trade of OEMs that normally would sort of build and supply a product only in a domestic market is no longer the case. We're seeing that the overall international trade of uh, finished vehicles and heavy equipment has gone up to be 20, 30, 40% of their total export import volume mix is now cross-border. 
And what that means is that you have all this added complexity and all this risk to the business around everyone who's touching and moving and tracking and supporting and providing value-added services around that whole fulfillment model end-to-end. And there's a huge opportunity for improvement that involves digital innovation in those areas. Right. So what's different? I mean, technology is not new. It's mm-hmm. been around for 30 years. And, you know, we talk about networks and lots of data. There are big old systems out there. Yeah. but something's changed like yeah. in the past decade. I mean, I'm sure it's has something to do with the internet and devices that are getting smaller and mobile. Right. How does that change or create new opportunities for these companies? I think you can look at it at sort of different levels of, call it the business or operational stack. So at the lowest level, there's absolutely been some massive innovation at the technology level. So, you know, RFID or tagging or sensors has had a very long arc and the label of IoT as being brand new is really a complete misnomer. I mean, we're simply relabeling a technology category and lumping a bunch of things together that are very well proven, very mature technologies in the field. But there is a lot of innovation, for example, around low energy Bluetooth devices now that can last for years on one power supply that are have intermittent use that have reasonable range and can so the cost effectiveness not just the cost to attach or the cost to produce but the life cycle longevity now is such that you can embed these in many different kinds of both vehicles or in terms of shipments kits that sort of thing to give you that underlying new level of traceability new level of kind of passive monitoring and then orchestration that can replace what typically used to be these you know, EDI or business transactions or things that are going to and from different systems that oftentimes are latent, you know, the translation of the context of where the information was captured and what it means has been incredibly difficult for folks to get, you know, insight and actionable intelligence either timely enough to take action for it to be meaningful or accurate enough for it to actually make sense. So on one hand, you've got this low level technology innovation that's happening In the middle, you've got this interesting opportunity to at least triangulate for these two worlds to coexist, where you have a lot of these EDI signals that say, where's my shipment, where's my order, give me an update, make it automated. Huge amounts of investment in that area in the last 30, 40 years. So you don't want to turn any of that off overnight. But the advanced art form is to say, let's rethink this thing soup to nuts. Let's triangulate. Let's enable us to track, for example, a finished vehicle or understand what's happening at key milestones along the way passively and then triangulate that against what's happening in our structured business processes that are still going to remain and not they're not going away anytime soon. Above that is really an organizational or people layer, I like to call it, you know, from a stack perspective. And that's really where the stickiness really is. I mean, we're able to move much faster from a technology perspective than we actually are able to change and reformat job functions, for example, or get folks to work more cross-functionally outside these big silos. And unfortunately, generally in the automotive industry, those silos have been very rigid for a very long time. So what you're seeing from an organizational strategy and strategy perspective is a lot of these OEMs move to a concept of like a one Ford, where they're thinking about shared services, they're thinking about how to either share functions globally across these global operations that share the same tools and assets and measurements so you harmonize or to get people to work much more effectively cross-functionally so that they can get out of their own way and improve whatever it is their lead time to customer fulfillment quality you know end to end you know and really actually kind of from that from that people stack layer then there's a strategy stack and then that's saying what new forms of business models can we actually adopt or experiment with or disrupt from an industry perspective and that's where you're seeing 
like I said, some big bets being made around autonomous vehicles, but also some new bets being made like by Tesla to just simply reinvent soup to nuts the entire process, right? The actual design of the vehicle, the way the vehicle is used, the way the vehicle is experienced in a retail store outlet, and then the way it's delivered to the end customer. Then what the life cycle of using that car, that asset is exciting to see. And that's getting a lot of the, you know, finished vehicle OEMs rethinking their business model as well. You think, I mean, I'm sitting here doing an automotive podcast with you and at the timing of the recording of this, uh, Volkswagen just announced that they had to shut down, I believe it's like 10 plants in Europe because one of their major tier one suppliers, they've got a a disagreement with them. And the supplier said, we're not shipping that part. Now, this is a classic case. You know, this is a a man-made tsunami in a lot of ways, right? Is that a victim of lean or single source supply? Does that old held paradigm in automotive manufacturing hold water anymore? Do they need to rethink how they do that? Because this just seems to happen all the time. And I just wonder if it can continue or does it force different thinking with what we've been talking about on digital? I believe it has to force different thinking, but I think there's in that one very newsworthy example of what's happening, you can see different factors come into play all at the same time. So one of the most obvious ones is, yes, you had this kind of single source high switching cost, high impact to switch out a supplier. This is for both transmission and for seats that they selected the supplier. And you had a little bit of a, I believe, a cost bid war on the front end of that program that was selected for that supplier. And I think there's a whole backstory of the owner who's Hungarian yeah. and how he got that bid. Yeah, it's a commercial, it's a commercial dispute. It's a commercial dispute, right? right? So they probably underbid the contract, won the bid in the program. Typically these programs are built for a three to five year life cycle. They sort of wanted to switch out the supplier early and you know it was a very unfortunate standoff essentially between accepting the near-term production schedule commitments to deliver while this underlying overall contract was being disputed. So in automotive, you have this trade-off between cost efficiency, you know, sole source supply relationships that are very intimate and very deep. With that comes a dramatic sense of risk, right? Where you actually have the ability of one key player to shut down an entire production line for days or weeks on end, which has a, I mean, they were estimating initially a $70 million impact just on one week's worth of delay my view of that, that vastly underestimates the actual cost and impact that we'll see play out. So is it worth having a $20 million payment dispute that could end up being a two, three, $400 million impact to your overall business and lost revenue and asset utilization of your plants? I don't think so. Now we've seen labor disputes like this that also have that same sort of you know push-pull in terms of relative power and impact about wages, for example, et cetera. Some of that just is inherent in very mature industries like the automotive industry. Now, what's another key factor though? Their ability to respond once this event occurred, right, they were completely flat-footed. They had no alternative source of supply. They didn't build a buffer of inventory and hold it in different locations that they could then ship maybe to multiple plants that were affected. They didn't have a full view of how to ramp down and then alternatives to, you know, sort of minimize essentially the finished vehicle impact. So they could have swapped out different lines that weren't as impacted because not all lines for those manufacturing plants should have been impacted the way they were, but they had locked in that schedule and they had this just-in-time model and just in sequence actually for the seating lines that had to come you know, with the assembly line. And as soon as there was a, a one or two day notification that they were going to have delay or stopping a shipment supply, everything shut down. So, you know, lean and just in time in the automotive industry has to be more balanced, right? With how you can buffer that risk with upstream supply. And that requires, 
a much more flexible both delivery model, sourcing model, but also requires a shared view of where your inventory is anywhere in the network at a supplier location, even if you don't own it. Because if you're contracted and these are design-in programs, where there's some inventory liability, for example, that the OEM has on material, raw material, for example, that the supplier is purchasing or is designed in, then they could have had a much more flexible contract relationship with the appropriate level of information that would have allowed them and given them some flexibility to minimize the impact. The impact would still have happened and still been a big deal, but I think their recovery time could have been cut in half if they had the appropriate information model, contract structure, more flexibility built in their inbound supply chain. And this is something that other industries have learned the hard way, like high tech, for example. And I think automotive is still very much struggling with that change and that shift. I think it's gonna take a very long time. Right, right. Well, I think we could probably sit here and talk about automotive for six more hours, but I think our podcast time limit is up. So thanks for coming onto the show. We'll be back. We're gonna hit this again and again. Awesome, thanks so much, Greg. All right, this is Greg Kiefer, Supply Chain Radio, and we are signing out. 